In three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And folks, tonight, tonight we have an extremely special guest. Uh, I'm going to take you back in a time machine uh, of sorts. Uh, back to circa 1994 or thereabouts. The location is Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, more specifically, Vaughn Mall at a legendary retail store that was called Water Monkey. I happened to be working there, um, and uh, yes. I opened the door and looked outside to get a breath of fresh air, and, and there happened to be a young man sitting down, opening up his uh, guitar case, and uh, he, he took out his guitar and he started to play uh, an original song. And um, it was it immediately struck me, his voice and the song itself, and... I was blown away. I'm like, wow, you know, who is this guy? He's obviously talented, you know, and over the next 20 years, he put a poster up in our door every time he had a show. And, you know, fast forward almost 30 years later, he's made 20 records. I'm a huge, huge fan. I've been lucky enough to see him play live probably about 20 times in various venues. And suffice to say, he's an incredible musician. Now, normally, that would be the end of the intro, but the fact is that our guest tonight is also an equally incredible artist. He's created book covers for several artists. Uh, he's made over 600 rock posters in his career, some of which are featured in the book The Art of Modern Rock, published by Chronicle Books. He has done album covers for dozens of bands, including Assembly of Dust, Slade Cleaves, the Tan Vampires, Jonah Tolchin, and many more. After seeing his posters, the Portsmouth Brewery actually asked uh, this gentleman to draft eight beer label designs, and the Northampton Brewery followed uh, right after that, commissioning him to make uh, a label six-pack design. His beer label art has garnered national recognition with the Alchemist Brewery out of Vermont, Hetty Topper in 2012 and Focal Banger in 2014. His hand silkscreen posters have traveled the USA in the National Poster Retrospectus. And he is a true delight. And uh, I think uh, some of his artwork has even been etched on human beings in the form of tattoos. The man's everywhere. Again, I'm a huge fan. And the bottom line, he's, he's an amazing talent. And he's an equally amazing dude. And we're super excited to have him on the show. So please, without further ado, give a warm no-outlet welcome to Mr. Dan Blakesley. Dan, how are yeah! you? The crowd's going I'm good. crazy. How are you? I'm doing great. Man, doing great. they're wild. I, I appreciate it. Man, your intro is so beautiful. I, I appreciate it. You remind me of some things that, like, not that I forget about, you know, what I've done in my career, but, but it's like, it's nice to hear them, you know, sort of like, like, uh, you know, said by someone else instead right. of me saying, Hey guys, Hey, I, I, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> but I, I mean, it, it's, I, I actually, I haven't made 20 albums. I'm, I'm on, I think I'm on album 10, though I have had a bunch of offshoot like little uh little things compilations so i, yeah, I, I was counting those i was about, counting those yeah yeah 
All right. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I was that trying to, I was rounding awesome. up. awesome. Yeah. Man, I appreciate it. It sounded great. <laughs> I was actually, I was, when, I, when I was writing that intro, I was thinking about all the different places I've seen you. And, um, you know, we, we had you at, you know, we had a couple parties. We've seen, I've seen you in a gunkwit. I've seen you in Portsmouth. I mean, you, you've been everywhere and done everything. So I want to play a game, and the game is called 20 Questions, and it always starts in the exact same place, and that's question number one. Question number one. Was your first love music or art? Man, oh man. This is a tough one. You know what? It was actually, I they, they kind of like built at the same time. Like I grew up in a house where where it was very, very arts positive. Like, like uh, um, my dad is a musician and my mom is a, is a they're both appreciators of the arts. And when I was a little kid, you know, they gave me, uh, you know, they, you know, in school, they said, okay, well, you know, for, for music class, what do you want to play? You know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I chose clarinet just because it was like something different that, that, you know, like that no one played in my family, except my mom, my mom actually played clarinet when she was, uh, uh, she was younger and, and I, I played clarinet for about four weeks, and I'm like, I'm done with this. I can't. <laughs> made, this thing is just squeaky like crazy. Yeah. And so my dad is a is an amazing piano player, and I thought to pick up uh, playing piano. And right around the same time as I was getting uh, music lessons, doing piano, I was getting art lessons. Like oh, that's that's so pretty cool. much side by side. Like same weekend, I would go to both. Wow. You know, and I sort of like, so I, I, I honestly, I mean, art was probably the very first thing because, um, before, you know, I decided to play clarinet, I was drawing on everything. Right. Like I was drawing on places in the house that my parents were like, Oh my God, he drew a marker on the stairs. <laughs> God, what are we going to do with this kid? Yeah. So anyway, so I, I would say art was first and then I actually, I, so I went to, I, I eventually, uh, you know, studied through high school and grade school all, all the way up. And then I decided to go to art school when I, when I went to, to uh, college, even though I had been playing piano a little bit through high school. And, uh, and I, yeah, I wanted to go to art school. And two years after uh, being at art school, they make you work eight to 10 hours a day. I was losing it. I was just like, this is like becoming a chore more than the fun, you know, it was before it felt more like doing work, even though, you know, you're at school. That's, that's part of the thing. But what happened was right before I left for art school, my older brother, Jonathan taught me three chords on guitar. And for my 18th birthday, my parents bought me a guitar. And so I brought it with me to art school, never played it really for about two years. And then, you know, like I eventually, I need a break from doing artwork. So I started playing guitar and realized that like, oh my God, I'm so in love with doing this, but in love with both. Right. And to this, to this day, it's like, like today, it's like I, I'm, uh, I'm putting up show posters. Uh-huh. Sure you are. Uh, and then and then doing doing some artwork. 
I'm going to go home. I'm going to uh, play some music, and then I'm going to do more artwork. And wow. then after that, I'm going to book shows. Amazing. That is, <laughs> that is how you, that's how you do it right there. I love that. And just a quick <laughs> shout out, uh, you, you, your brother, Jonathan, I hope you don't mind. Yes. He, 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 he has an amazing tea company called White Heron. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Talk about a, Absolutely. talk about a talented family. Like it's almost too much talent for, for one family. You guys have, have hogged it all. Um, all right. He, so, He's an amazing musician too. Like his his uh, his songs. Like I mean, you know, I was super inspired listening to him like play guitar in high school and wow. all through up up till now. Like he's fantastic. That's cool. So you you guys obviously grew up in South Berwick. Um, yeah. So when I think of South Berwick, and that's where I raised my kids too, I, I have to find out what was your favorite flavor of ice cream at Aggies. Aggies, you know what? I've only been to Aggies one or two times. Oh my For god! For me, it was it was Fogarty's. Okay, because Fogarty's when when I was a little kid, that was their ice cream place. Aggies Aggies wasn't there yet. Oh, and okay. when I left for art school, um, uh, Aggies came in. So I've I've pretty much, um, you know, like, I mean, I would say pretty much any ice cream place, though <laughs> peppermint. Sick. There you go. I'm I'm very into it, and and uh, and uh, don't don't worry, Aggies. I'm coming for you because I live <laughs> local now. And I, I was living away for a long time, but now I'm local. So look out. Fogarty's is amazing. They're they're uh, they're all the it is. It's awesome. Oh my god, the cheesecakes and all the cakes. I mean, they, that talk about a real hometown good gem like they're a gem they really are oh yeah, yeah they, so when true. i was in when i was growing up it was just like an ice cream stand oh is that right pretty much and they had like burgers and stuff but they didn't have like that restaurant part oh interesting it was okay. sort of like it's kind of a to-go spot but man it's it's amazing like anytime i've i've ever gone there like i recorded an album in rollinsford sure and right right over the bridge and i'm like oh let's let's go get some dinner and go over to Fogarty's. And I'm like, knocked out. I'm like, this is like the most perfect family restaurant. Agree. Totally agree. That's We've always had a good time there. So you've lived all over the place. Uh, but for some reason, yeah. I always, I connect you with Portsmouth. And that's probably because where I, I saw you first and the water monkey and all that stuff. But when yeah. it comes, and when it comes to Portsmouth, because you still go there quite a bit, I'm sure. Oh yeah, all the um, time. So, so what's the best place to get a cup of coffee in Portsmouth? Oh man, I mean, my my brother's spot. It's like, you know, and I and I'm not I'm not being biased. It's like I mean, there I mean, there's so many good cafes. Yeah. And I and the thing is, I tell my brother, hey, you know, yours closes at three, so I'm going to be going to these <laughs> other spots around town. <laughs> you know, and there's I mean, there's so many there's so many good spots. It's like. Uh, I, I, I love my brother's coffee. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a nutty kind of coffee and also cafe kill yeah, yeah. is, uh, is, is really good. And, uh, I mean, there's, I don't, you know, I've been to most of the cafes in Portsmouth. I, I haven't found one that I was like dissatisfied really, yeah. to be honest. No, That's but, pretty broad. Sorry. I didn't answer. No, no, you did. Well. You absolutely did. I mean, I think that those, those two are on my on my list for sure. I mean, I love going to White Heron. I used to, when I had my own business, I would always go there to, you know, work. I'd, I'd get a sandwich, I'd get a coffee, I'd get a tea, and they would just 
super nice all the time, fresh food, fresh everything, and everything's so good. And Cafe Killam right. to me is like, I, I, I've been going there since I was, uh, who knows, 21, something like yeah, that. Yeah, when it was downtown. That was like my yeah. my first coffee experience in Portsmouth was Cafe Killam. Yep, yep. So those are two of the best. In the old location, yeah. So what was the first concert that you ever attended? You mean a, a local local band? Oh, it could be in, any, but like or any any music. How about this? I'll, I'll I'll tell you. Shoot, I'll tell you the the first local show okay, that I good. went to was a punk rock show in Portsmouth at the Knights at Columbus Hall. Yes, and the band. Some of the band. I'm I'm trying to remember. I don't know all the bands that played. It was like five or six bands. But the one that I just went crazy over was Five Balls of Power. <laughs> and they're still – and it's, it's so cool because, like, uh, Al Barr yeah. from uh, Dropkick Murphys and the Bruisers, he's the, he was the, uh, the lead singer at the later part of Five Balls of Power. And also in the band, sort of like around the same time, but a little before him was Jay uh, Fortin from Scissor Fight, amazing yep. guitar player. Yep. And then Roger uh, Shosa uh, playing uh, drums. Wow. And and I'm and and it's so cool that I'm still pals with all of them. But but uh and and the the bass player I is uh man I'm trying to remember what brother of of Slade Cleave. But he was he was in the band as well. I think it was Jay. Amazing, Jay Cleese. But man, still to this day, like I listened to that album like last week. Like I listen to it like like once every couple of months. It is so good still. That's incredible. But that was that was my first concert concert, and I was enamored. <laughs> like, That's so cool. Totally then, blown away. The Knights of Columbus. So is that where was that? Where right, was... right near the the. Uh, recent location of Cafe Killam. No way. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I remember the sign now. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That brick building right to the right of it. Totally. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I forgot they used to have music there. That's really cool. Uh, right. I dig that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So- and then I think my first, like, bigger concert was probably, man, ah. Uh, I would say REM. Yep. I think, or the Cure. Like it's it's uh it's fuzzy, right. o- only because I saw so many in this one summer. And also, you know me, I don't drink, smoke, or do drugs, so yep. it's not that. That's right. But it's sort of like it's it's a li- it's a little hazy, like like uh you know the the yeah I was probably like fourteen, fifteen, and uh, early on one two was BB King, like. I was wow. working at a lobster restaurant when I was like 17 and my dad called up the lobster restaurant in Barnacle Billings and he said, he was talking to my boss and he said, Hey, I got tickets to see BB King. Can I, can I bring my son there tonight? And it was so cool. My boss was like, man, you take the night off. You go enjoy that concert. We're going to be totally fine. Now that's a good boss right there. And a good right. dad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and in, in fact, actually, that same boss was one of the reasons I'm doing music—a huge reason, actually, because I worked at the lobster restaurant since I was like 15, 16, all the way up through like 20, early 20s. And uh, and uh, my 
my boss, uh, his name is Court, um, Court Tower. Yep. He noticed that I lo- liked playing music. And, and in 1993, I recorded my first album when I was at art school. And that summer, I, I played a handful of shows, you know, in between, um, you know, working at a lobster restaurant. Yep. And the following season came up, 1994. And I went to go back to work. I went there in the early spring and I said, Hey, you want, are you going to hire me back? You know, I've, I can, you know, work the summer here. And he, and even though I was one of his best employees, yep. he, he said to me, I can't do that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm always like the, the one, like the, the one guy you can always count on. Like if, if stuff needs to be done, I'll do it. Right. And he said, you're supposed to be out there playing music. Oh, man. That's and he great. said, I was, I was listening to your tape all through the winter. And he said, you're supposed to be playing music. That's incredible. And it was, right, isn't that super cool? And he said to me, he said, all right, how about this? We'll do a deal. He said, you can work here, but what you have to do is book out your whole summer get as many gigs as possible and you can work here on your off days. Super cool. So I worked there on Mondays and Tuesdays, basically. And his name was Court Tower? Court Tower. What a great yep. name. Court Tower. I know, right? It's an I mean, awesome name. That's a great name. And he Shout was like just such a fun boss. Oh my God. Him and the whole family. His whole family is just amazing. That's incredible. That's great. I love that story. Incredible. Um, you've played so many different venues. But where was the very yeah. first place that you were paid to play? Man, I mean, my very first show that I did was in Baltimore at a cafe called Cafe Montage, mm. which isn't there anymore. And um, but I'm sure they paid me something. I I don't remember. But the first one where I was like, okay, I'm thinking about doing this for a living, right? You know, like one of the very first ones was uh, the Elvis Room. Oh, my God. I love the Elvis Room. Yeah. What a memory. I know, right? They had something really special really early. Like they were so they were so early to what Portsmouth needed. Like they needed a place like that. Um, And they used to have live music almost every day. Great scene. Good coffee. Um, Amazing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that was a really cool place. It, you know, I there was a an exhibition at the Three S Art Space. I think it was a couple of years ago where they had yeah all these yep. old pictures from the Elvis Room, and I'm looking at them. I'm like, whoa! It's like I remember all those people. Like I remember right exactly. You know, you know what I mean? Even if you don't know them, you're like, I remember that character totally. And it was before <laughs> digital, you know, photography and before social media. So it's like a literal time machine, like. All these pictures I had never seen before were up on the wall in the same place, and it was just like, wow, just incredible. Right. Yeah. It was really cool. So the Elvis Room, and you played there quite a bit. Yeah, I played there a lot. Yep, yep. And it was was so cool because you could see, like, metal bands, punk bands, people come from all over, legendary people like Ronnie Dawson, like early rockabilly legends from the 50s coming there to play. Elvis Room and also Elliot Smith. I saw Elliot Smith no and there were about 30, 35, 40 people. Elliot Smith he played was, the Elvis Room? You bet he did. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I did not know that. 
That's mm-hmm. cool. Um, that's a great answer. I love it. So this is a tough question. Um, I, I, I'll tell you right up front. Who has been your biggest and most influential uh, musical artist? So if you could look back, you're obviously a huge, I mean, you're you're a diverse fan. B.B. King, punk rock, you know, all these different types of music. But if you could kind of pick one artist that's been like a, the driving force of you wanting to continue to create music, who would you pick? Wow, that is, I mean, that's that's a tough one. I think... You, sometimes when I'm asked this question, I think about my LP collection. Okay. And I think about, okay, who do I have the most of in my LP collection? Right, right. right. And to be honest, Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan are, yep. I have 30 LPs of each. Wow. And it's hard to pick between those two because they've both been super influential. And it's kind of funny that I, I, I would say Bob Dylan. Yeah. Because... Uh, and, and it, all right, because he was one of the artists that I actually heard, heard much later in my career than one would think. Like, uh, but what I like is that he can sing about whatever he wants to sing about. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? It can be literally anything because for a period of time I was, you know, like, I was only writing songs about, you know, these, like, you know, breakups with girlfriends or, like, hard times and I got a flat tire, <laughs> son of a gun, you know, or, or whatever. And yeah. so what what I realized that with Bob Dylan, it's sort of like, I love the fact, yeah, literally you can write about anything you want to, you know, and it doesn't have to be serious and it, and it doesn't have to be what people think you are going to do because they heard your previous music. Right. You know, and it's like, I got in, introduced to Bob Dylan. Like, I mean, in, in, I mean, it was in high school when, when I really started hearing his name a lot, you know, or whatever, but I didn't have any albums until I got asked to do the Bob Dylan appreciation night in the press room. Actually, I, just I probably gonna... had, I, I had one record of his. Yep. But but what happened was I got asked to do the poster. Yes. And then they said to me, um, my friends Bob and Dean, who who uh, are, ran the thing, yep. they said, hey, do you want to play a couple songs too? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't know any of his stuff, but, you know, maybe I'll buy, his, I'll buy an album, one of his albums and learn a song or two. So I got his first record. Wow. I, I always like to start at the beginning, always. Yeah. And what happened was Bull Moose Music, like, so 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 I did the Bob Dylan Appreciation Night, and it was such a blast. Got introduced to a, b- a whole bunch of his songs that I hadn't heard, you know, yeah. renditions by local bands and musicians. So so the next day, I, I was just hanging out at Bull Moose. I was like that guy, like, every day. If I was in town, you got to go to Bull Moose like once a day totally, and hang out and talk. And uh, so I ended up noticing that they were having a they were having a, a sale on all Columbia artists. And so they had every Bob Dylan album. It was like $8. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy 10 of these. That's a deal. <laughs> so I bought 
10 of his albums right away. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to one by one. I'm not going to speed listen, you know, and I'm yeah. going to really get him in there, you know. And so it was really nice to actually, you know, buy a collection of his works, even though, you know, I, I was a newbie. But I, I was like, I soon became a an addict. Wow. Yeah, I actually saw you play. I was at one of, because there was more than one Bob Dylan night, I believe, at the press Oh, yeah. yeah. Many, yep, many, many. And and, and my, um, my, a member of my family has one of the posters that you made. It's a great, a great picture of Bob. And I remember watching that and just thinking what an amazing idea it was. I mean, and, and how cool that, you know, there's an artist that's luckily still alive that's out there, you know, still yes. making music. And there are people, and this is a long time ago, people are like, let's let's get together and appreciate this. I love I love that kind of stuff. I think it's so cool. Um, it was a fun night. Yeah. Yeah, man. Cool. Um, if you could <laughs> travel in time, okay, I'm going to give you the ability to travel in time to any period of time to watch anybody perform in that period, right? Uh, where would you travel to and who would you see? So I'll, I'll like if you want to All see right. you, you know, I got it. you got it okay. Yep. Some sessions the first week they started recording <laughs> uh Johnny Cash yeah and Elvis and <laughs> like someone told me yesterday I didn't know that Johnny Cash's song Cry 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 was the first one at Sun Russian Sun Sessions I mean um Sun Records in uh in memphis that okay. really started out you know his career and jerry lee lewis and roy orbison My and God. and uh elvis presley they were all there at that same time incredible you know just like like a bunch of like country boys that are like hey i got some songs right can i can i cut one right. hey can i cut one <laughs> you know That's- what i mean it's like hey i just got done playing the county fair can i come and cut one later right sure. let's do it you know, and that's that's a great choice because it's kind of like the most efficient place. You could go to one spot one time and see a bunch of people that were so incredible right. and that were going to become such forces. Right. And and that, you know, Sun Records reminds me of the beginning. Of, I mean, it's a parallel, but like Lee Perry down in Jamaica used to invite basically anyone that was into ska wow. and, 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 you know, reggae music. And the same thing, like literally people that were – farming that were you know working in the fields let's play records the only difference is it wasn't in you know uh nashville or wherever sun records was right it was in kingston jamaica heck yeah yeah dig it um okay (laughs) you're a huge fan of of halloween um oh yeah (laughs) there there it is and you have created an alter ego um, to perform, to, to write and perform Halloween I'm songs. I'm raising my eyebrow several times right now. I yeah. like it. I can, I can feel it. I can feel <laughs> it. So tell us all the origin of Dr. Gasp. All right. You asked for it. I did. So, so yeah, I've been doing this Dr. Gasp character for 21 years. This wow. year will be my uh, 21st year, which seems insane to me. Um, but anyway, so this, the whole thing started when I got asked, uh, by uh, a couple local friends 
that owned a design company in Portsmouth, uh, um, uh, Neil and Keith, and a couple rad uh, humans. And Wait, Neil Snow? They, Neil Snow. Unbelievable. I went to college with Neil Snow. No way. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Good dude. So, right, oh, my God. So solid. They asked me if I would be part of the the uh, uh, haunted house that he played okay. in York. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. They said, okay, well, you know, we're going to open up the basement. It's going to be open to, like, families and people just walking down the street and kids. So you, it can't, can't be, like, too scary, but just, do see, like, <laughs> just, like, make a ca- – Make a character, and you can have this section of the basement. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I just got like I I like found a rocking chair. I put cobwebs all over it. I put I dressed myself up like a, like a ghost cowboy, and I started playing these disjointed um, chords and rocking back and forth in a rocking chair. Wow, you know, not but since I was doing it for so many hours while people were coming through that I started coming up with lyrics in my head. And then that night I went home and I wrote the, the song, uh, it's Witch Trot Road, which is of yeah. a famed, uh, street in South Berwick. And two nights later I was getting ready to play the press room and it was a couple nights before Halloween. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to debut this song. And I hadn't come up with a character name. I was just like, so I played the song. And I immediately apologized to the audience. I was like, that was the absolute worst. I will never do that again. I'm so sorry. Let's continue. And then someone from the back of the room shouted out, I want to put that out on vinyl next year. Ooh. So it came out on vinyl next the next year on Spider Bite Records, and uh, a label out of uh, Portsmouth area. Sure. And uh, and and my my Halloween career had begun. Amazing. That and is... thank God they did that because I would have thrown all of it away. I can't believe that. Thank God. Isn't that crazy? How things that you would never think that would have legs or have a life just kind of organically happen. And then when they do, you might even think, yeah, I'm not really sure about that. And yet they have legs. And here we are right. 21 years later. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, and I do a lot of kicks with those legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like one of my stage antics, like doing like kicks all the time. I don't know. I don't know how that began, but hey, it's fun. It's all good. <laughs> so um, what are your feelings on the undeniable fact that hummingbirds are the greatest pets on planet earth. Well, man, I mean, I mean, they are, I mean, I remember, I remember the first time I really actually got to see one in action and filmed it and slowed it down. I was absolutely mystified. Right. How, they're drawing the their food into their long beak <laughs> and fluttering the way they do, not even looking like they're flying at all. They're perfectly still. Yeah. I am, like, absolutely mystified by them. Yeah. 
They're incredible. And I named I named Johnny Cash the Hummingbird in in one of my uh, my uh, a song that I wrote about Johnny. No way. Uh, he he always does a he always does a hum oh, yeah. a hum, you know, in his in his songs. Wow. So I didn't realize that uh, about uh, that you named Johnny Cash the Hummingbird, but I have to, I have to tell you I've asked that question before, and you're the first person that said yes they are. So I want to thank you for acknowledging <laughs> the, the greatness. How can you not acknowledge that? I uh, mean, come uh, on, right? That's what I'm talking about. Um, okay, so uh, there are four things I'm going to list off, and okay. I, I would like for you to name the one of the four that you feel is most likely to actually exist and be real. Okay. Okay. Yep. So number one, the Loch Ness monster. Number two, okay. Bigfoot. Number three, interdimensional beings traveling through time and space. And number four, modern day vampires, not any time in history, but right now we're, we're among vampires. So those are the four Loch Ness monster, Man, I thought I knew my answer early on, but I feel like the modern day vampire. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, man. Well, now you've got me intrigued. What was your answer that you were going to say before that? Bigfoot. Okay. Like I feel. Oh man, I'm like I'm a. When I was a little kid and all that Bigfoot stuff was happening, I'm like, sure. oh my god, this thing exists. Now, this is insane. And it's like any time, like there's a few areas like of the U.S. Whitehall, New York, is like Bigfoot territory. Then out in like near Big Sur, they're like Bigfoot was discovered here. It's like everyone's like everyone claims it, whatever. But it's right. like whenever I'm in any of the Bigfoot territories, I I always like buy a sticker or a mug, yeah, or like whatever. I I just I just love it. So uh, it's funny. I'm actually I'm not sure if you're old enough. To remember the show, the Bionic uh, Six Million Dollar Man. Hell yeah! Okay, that's one of the things. I swear to God, there was a Bigfoot thing in that, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting in my studio and I'm looking at the wall, and on my wall I have a framed, and it's a nice frame. I have a framed picture of Steve Austin, the Six Million Dollar Man, standing with Bigfoot because there was an episode where it was Bigfoot versus. Uh, the six million dollar man. That was kind of like their right. their jump the shark moment. But I thought it was such an iconic piece of seventies like you know memorabilia uh, and how terrible yeah. the TV was. But you had no choice because there was if you wanted to watch TV, there were four channels and you got to watch one of the shows on there. That's right. And You're either watching Mash or Six Million Dollar Man <laughs> or Channel Eleven. Exactly. I love Channel Eleven. I do too. God bless public <laughs> TV. Um, yeah. All right, so you've been making music for a long time, like we just heard. And during that period of time, if you think about from like the early 90s to now, um, there have been several really substantial changes. You know, the internet, streaming, and it's really changed the way that music is made and distributed and paid for and bought. And I'm just want, looking to get your like your thoughts on the state of, of the music industry today, because there are some positives to the changes but there are also some things that are challenges. So as an artist, you know, what are your thoughts on where things are right now? Well, all right, let me rewind back. I'm going to say 10 years. So 10 years Napster okay. was around, right? I never, I've never used Napster. I 
you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I always seeked out music either from radio stations or through compilations still. Like, I, I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm pretty late in actually getting a computer. See, it seems kind of funny because I'm like super active now because I have to be. Right. You know, like every venue that I play, if I'm not posting three or four times on Facebook, you know, for that specific show, Facebook and Instagram, and like, they're just like, they'll, they'll book, they'll just, you know, they really need to see that you're active on social media, posting your stuff. And also I'm still one of the guys that does physical posters. Yeah. And, uh, and, but what I was going to say is like, one of the annoying things is that, um, it used to be, okay, you make a post on Facebook. It goes out to all of your followers. Say, right. say, say it was in the MySpace uh, times, right? Whatever. Before that went, that went crazy and haywire. You post something and all of a sudden it goes out to however many friends follow you or people follow you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I would do posts and get X amount of numbers of people liking it, X amount of numbers of people, you know, making comments or whatever. And the numbers were, 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 were like, you know, decent, you know? And, uh, and now it's like, like I'm doing an album fundraiser campaign cause I'm coming out with a new album yep. and every post that I do, the algorithms gobble it up. Like if I say fundraiser, music, artist, show, ticket, uh, like uh, a date or a time or, or, or numbers. Right. Like it only goes to the top 10 people and who follow you. And so Interesting. every time you need to make a splash, you got to pay for it. See, that's why all the time, most of your feed on Facebook and Instagram is sponsored posts from people you don't know. That's just not right. And it's like, it's one of the most frustrating things because, you know, and it's like, if you want to, you know, get your music on Spotify, I mean, there's ways to do it naturally, but one way you can do it is sponsor your stuff and be put in the hands at the top of the deck, you know, instead of like, like back in the day, someone plays your song on the radio and people are like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I need to get this. Like, and there, there wasn't that like disconnect where, I feel like as a, uh, like artists and musicians and anyone that, that, that needs to use social media for their business are having such a hard time right now because you have to like, you know, pay for all, all, all the stuff, you know, right. to like, you know, and, and also like the, the whole Spotify thing. It's like mm. for years I refused to get my, my, my stuff on Spotify. I'm like, nope, it's only on Bandcamp because right. if people are listening on Bandcamp, they can they can listen to an album, but then there then a thing comes in and says, "Hey, you already listened to this. Why don't you make a purchase?" Like, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. Obviously, if someone's going in for a second listen, they they you know maybe they should have this album, you know, sure in their collection or whatever. So for years, I didn't have stuff on on. Spotify because Bandcamp actually pays their artists decently. And wow. so I decided after years of not putting my stuff on Spotify, like I keep getting the ask, yeah, I play a festival. The festival makes a Spotify playlist. 
And if you're playing the festival, they really want you to have your music on there. And I want to be on there. Sure. But for years, I, I was just like, oh, I guess I can't be on that compilation. Right. That, you know, like thousands of people listen to. And then one day I was just like, ah, screw it. Whatever. I'll go yep. on Spotify. But everyone out there listening, go to Bandcamp first. Go to Bandcamp first, guys. You heard you, you heard it. That's and there's good reason to. You got to mm-hmm. pay the artist. If you, you want to support the artist, yeah. There you go. There you go. It's worth it. Um, does yep. a stitch in time always save nine? Wait, Everett, what did you say? <laughs> does a stitch in time always save nine? Oten gleiten glauben globen. Okay, you know, you've heard the expression, stitch in time, right? Yes. Saves nine. I've never heard this expression Are you kidding me? Man, it was kind of like the first time someone said, you've never heard Bob Dylan? Well, you're getting it right now, man. Well, I think that Bob Dylan's probably a little bit more well-known than a stitch in time saves nine. (laughs) Right, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so Stitch in Time saves nine. So I've asked that question a lot too. Um, and um, you're the first person that hasn't known it. So I'm going to say that's okay because you liked the hummingbirds, never heard of Stitch in Time, and that's a fair trick. <laughs> right. So the, the saying is a Stitch in Nine saves time. And what that means is um, a Stitch in Time saves nine. It means it's like if your jacket is starting to fall apart, just but it's just starting to fall apart. Um, and if you put a stitch in it right away, even though you're taking time to mend the jacket at that moment, you're actually saving You'll save more time in the end. In the end, because if you wait for it to completely unravel, then you're going to have to spend a lot more time putting the whole sleeve back on. So it's an old New England Yankee thrifty, you know, cheap. Well, like, I like it, and I I believe it's totally true. I have plenty of jackets that I've done that to. There you go. So the answer is yes. Yes. Right. I'm a good sewer. <laughs> I love the fact that you hadn't heard that. That's great. That's honestly the <laughs> best reaction there could have been. All right, so let's talk about what. <laughs> that was good. That's going to be a sound bite. I'm going to use that somehow. Um, so what's next for Dan Blakesley? Where you just mentioned, I, I now i got to find out more about it. You're working on a new album. I'm sure there's a tour yeah. coming up this summer. Like, let's let's get some plugs out there. Let's get people excited about getting your new work, going to see you this summer. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. So, so this year being my my thirtieth uh, anniversary of doing music, I decided to. Well, I mean, I've been working on a. Uh, let, wait, uh, let me move forward. Sorry. No, no, you're. So good. I'm coming out with two albums this year, and I'm also coming out with a coffee table book of my posters, oh my like a hardcover God. book, yep. officially, for the first time. It's like, for years, and you've seen them, I know you have, because oh, yeah. uh, your brother's got them every single time I <laughs> he's come a out with collector. it. He is, he's <laughs> awesome. I used to do a book of 25 of my favorite posters of the year and put it out every Christmas. Wow. And it was, you know, a photocopy book, you know, and it was like, you know, go to the photocopy center and just, you know, uh, uh, and so now this is going to be the first ever like official, like art book. So, so basically I've been, I've been recording a solo acoustic album since, uh, 2019 at called road hymn. Okay. And the, the premise of the album is that I'm recording every song in a place that's been special to me and sacred to me throughout my career as a musician. Wow. And so I recorded 
one under a lilac tree in the Arnold Arboretum in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, because when I lived in Boston, I would go every May when the, when the lilacs are in bloom and I would sit under this one particular lilac tree and just stay there for like eight hours, bring my guitar, bring a bag of lunch, hang out with friends or just solo or, or whatever. And, and so, and I still go back every year, even though I don't live down there. And then another one I recorded um, on Monhegan Island in Maine. I yeah. recorded in an old chapel. It's 10 miles out to sea. Wow. And so it has like, I've been playing there for 15 plus years and just, it has just such a good energy to it. And I recorded one of my dad's little boat, uh, Harvard in, uh, in Kittery in Tepperell Cove. Sure. Uh, in the, in the cabin of his boat, I recorded one in my mom's greenhouse in South Berwick and, uh, one in an old stone tower at Tufts university. Wow. Um, that I used to, I lived on one side of the university for my girlfriend. My girlfriend lived on the other side and I would go to her place um, and hang out until she had to go to bed. And then I, then I walked back to my place and stopped in this stone tower to play music late and through the night. So I don't wake up my roommate. And so it's, so it's all places like that. That's amazing. now, when yeah, does that, and then when, when does that like come out? June. June, okay. June-ish. I still haven't figured out a solid, solid date. But that's but like four years that. in the making. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And I'm doing the album fundraiser right now through uh, Indiegogo. So if anyone out there is listening, you can still pre-order the album early, and it helps me get the CDs and LPs made and and uh, uh, such. That's cool. And so, then, that, so that's the first yeah. one. What's the other one? Uh, the first, so so the next one is a re-release of my very first album I ever recorded at art school in 1993. Amazing. Um, I I've been writing songs at school. Didn't know how to make an album. Never recorded anything. And I went to uh, a friend offered to record me in his basement, and. Uh, and so, yeah, we just, you know, solo acoustic record. I didn't know anything about making the album. I didn't know about making a song sequence or whatever. Yeah. I just recorded whatever songs I'd written sure. through art school. And then I just made an album out of them. And, and then, uh, and, it, and that one is called Dissolving Castine. And that one will be coming out on the date that I first recorded it. I think it was. Man, either November seventeenth or December fourth. Okay. Uh, so, so, and the thing is, uh, I'm coming out with the the art book, um, uh, based on the very first show I ever did that I made a poster for in Baltimore, which is either on November seventeenth or December fourth. I can't remember what what is what. But, Got it. But That's so cool. basically, so yeah, like November and December, I'm going to be putting out the coffee table book art book and then uh and then uh re-release of the the uh my my first album which which had never it, it had only been out on tape i'd made 800 tapes and sold them all wow and then never have ever put it online it's never been on cd or lp and yeah so it's time I'm, I'm super excited yeah it's time so can people pre-order the coffee table book as well 
they're going to be able to, yeah, but it'll be later in the year. Sure, sure. That's so cool. Yep. Um, yep. Well, I, so where can people, do you, have, do you have a website? Do you have social media? Where can people follow you? I mean, there are people in the audience yeah, right now that, yeah. are like, that, are, that are chomping at the bit. How can they go find out more about Dan? <laughs> cool, cool. I uh, DanBlakely.com. Okay. That's uh, my, my website. And then uh, Dan Blakely and the Calabash Club uh, on Facebook. So it's C-A-L-A-B-A-S-H, Club, Calabash. That's the name of my band. Sure. Uh, Dan Dan Blakesley and the Calabash Club on Facebook and Instagram is Dan Blakesley Music. Love it. I love it. Well, Dan, I got to tell you, I've been doing this podcast going on three years now, and you were one of the first people that I wanted to talk to way back then, but I'm like, I got to wait until I figure out exactly how to do this before I subject Dan to the torture of listening to my stupid <laughs> 20 questions. And I, I got to tell you, it was a real pleasure. Uh, like I said in the beginning, I, I feel like I, I've been watching you kind of evolve as an artist, and I'm a huge fan of your art, your music, and I really appreciate you coming on. And if you could see the audience here, they're all wow. standing. Oh, yeah. They're on their feet. They're, they're doing the Woo! wave. They're, they're really You guys are the it. best. I appreciate it. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to seeing you at one of your many venues this summer. I'm sure you're going to be playing the Levitt Theater at some point. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know it. I love, I love going there. So <laughs> I'll see you at some That's point. That's a good one. And, and, again, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And uh, Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you asking me. Yeah, man. I hope you have a great night. Yeah, you too. All right. Take care. See you later.